living the word today. So, every time we open this book, it is a fresh opportunity for God to talk to us. Let's make sure, let's make very sure that we are listening to what he wants to say to us. Livingthewordtoday.com. Look, the message of the Bible does indeed prepare us for eternity, but it also prepares us for the day we are currently living. Welcome to Living the Word Today. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is not only to understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. You probably have already figured out, since we have been in this, I think, four weeks or more in this particular chapter, that it's all about faith. And today we're going to talk about it being a better faith, and we'll explain what that means. We'll have that explained to us by the time we come to the end, I'm sure. But uh, it's all about faith. We understand that it sells us in Scripture. In fact, if you have your, your chapter open, you can see the whole chapter in front of you. He says in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please God. That's a very powerful statement. Because we as God's children, God's people, as just the people He has created, that should be very high on our list, that we want to please God. We want to honor Him. We want to worship Him. And he says, without faith, zero possibility of that taking place. So an important subject. It actually began back in chapter 10 where... uh, he talks about the fact that, that he quotes from Malachi, actually. He talks about that the just shall live by faith. And then he opens the chapter with the first two verses to give us a definition of what faith is. Let me read those to you, verse 1 and 2, chapter 11. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So this is in the category of what you cannot see, you cannot detect, you cannot observe through our normal senses. This is taking God at His word, and from that word, at God's promises, this becomes the substance, the living substance of that for which we're looking for, and the evidence that what we do not see indeed is real. And it says that, uh, verse 3, or uh, excuse me, verse 2, For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. So there's this whole invisible reality that's framed, created, put in place by the Word of God. Now the writer wants us to see this in life. This is what it looks like lived out in the life. So he begins by mentioning a number of people that the original readers of this text would have understood and known about. They're Old Testament people that, that we read in the pages of the Old Testament. And we as students of the Bible, we also likewise have this same perspective. He talks about Abel. He talks about Enoch. He talks about Noah. He talks about Abraham and Sarah. He talks about Isaac and Jacob and Joseph. And then last week we looked at an extended section about Moses, the lawgiver. And the fact was that all of these people were heroes and all of these abbreviated accounts of the life begin with the phrase, by faith. If you want to know what faith looks like, just walk through this chapter. And if you want to, you have access to the original documents here. You can go back and you can read the stories, the full extended stories of the persons so named. 
Now we come to the end of it, and it's sort of like uh, he, he will say, he'll make a reference to time here in just a moment. But it's like, I've got so much to say and so little time to do it, he starts sort of compressing and compacting and put it in categories. He talks about victors. He talks about the people who were involved in said victories. He talks about people who had various experiences, various moments. He mentions some by name. A, a vast chunk of them he does not mention by name because he cannot cover all of that. But all of these are given so that we would know what faith looks like. And in typical fashion... In typical dramatic fashion, have you ever watched a film or you're reading a novel or a book or reading a short story and you kind of go along and suddenly at the end it's like, wow, this big twist. Didn't see that surprise coming. And if you've, you've seen it and no one else has, don't be the spoiler, all right, and tell them how the, the, you know, the surprise ending. We've, we've all had that happen to us somewhere along the line. In some ways, this drama of all of these people through the Old Testament ends with a dramatic shift and it's, it's sort of a seismic shift, and it's to get our attention. But I have to say that to the end because we're not quite to that point yet. Now, uh, that's all you're going to get on the screen for those of you who are note takers, okay? Uh, I, this, does not, this does not lend itself to some sort of a, a flowing outline or that sort of thing. Uh, but uh, all we really need is you and me and a Bible and some time together. So that's what we're going uh, to look at it today, okay? So we're going to pick it up where we left off in verse 29. Just notice, do make sure you hear deeply this refrain, by faith, by faith. By faith they passed through the Red Sea on dry land, whereas the Egyptians t attempting to do so were drowned. Now this is a theme you go, that goes through many of these. When it should have been a defeat, it was a victory. When they should have been destroyed, they were saved. When they should have been humiliated, they were justified. And all these sort of reversals by faith. And this takes us back to Exodus chapter 14. Israel has left Egypt. Moses is leading them. They come to the shore of the Red Sea, and uh, suddenly Pharaoh has a change of heart, even though he said, I want you out of here. He sends his armies to go back and to drag them back into slavery. So on one side, forward, is a sea of water, big body of water. They can't cross. They have no means of crossing it. Behind them, coming up, is the Egyptian army. What's going to happen? You know the I don't, need, I don't need to worry about a spoiler here. You've read this before, I'm sure. But the, Moses prays and he tells him to spread his hands out over the water with his staff in his hand. And God parts the waters of the Red Sea. And it says they pass through the sea on, as by dry land. Have you figured out that's not how it usually works? <laughs> this is not how the laws of physics and the laws of everything works. Water does not run uphill. Water is not contained with, without a physical barrier. But they pass through. And then he says this, and the Egyptians attempting to do the same were drowned. Pharaoh commands the chariots to go down, and as they're down in that, that, the, the dry bed of the Red Sea, the water comes up and they are destroyed. By faith. Now, the problem you and I have, perhaps anyway, many of us have read that story so many times. We've seen Charlton Heston with his big beard and his, and his gray hair, and we've seen it on the screen or some other depiction or some sort of, you know, a Bible storybook. And it's just sort of like, of course he crossed through the Red Sea. They crossed through the Red Sea. Got that check mark, know the story, move on. But it behooves us to engage our imaginations and to say, they walked through the bed of the Red Sea and water on either side. I mean, you just have to put yourself there. How would you feel? How would you react? And, and Moses says, you know, there's the water parted. And Moses says, let's go. 
Do you think you may have had a moment, should I or shouldn't I? Well, I don't have much choice, you know, and off they go. These stories were accomplished. Why? Because Moses believed God's word. The people believed Moses' word delivered from, from, through him by God, and they moved forward. They believed what was impossible. They believed in one who was invisible. They took his word and they acted upon it. That is faith. Then we flash forward in the next verse to the book of Joshua, where they entered the land of, of, of Canaan. And by the way, they entered by another parting of water because God stopped the flow of water of the Jordan River and they walked across it on dry land. And the first thing they come to is probably the most fortified stronghold of all the Canaanites, the city of Jericho. Had walls around it and you know, they didn't have any mechanisms to breach these walls and so forth. And it says, by faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they encircled for seven days. Amazing accounts you can read in Joshua. God tells them, here's what you're going to do to attack the city, big walls, all these defenses. You march around it one day. Next day you march around it again, six, seven days. And on the seventh day you march around seven times and then everybody just shout. I guarantee you they don't teach that as military strategy at West Point. This is not how it works. But God told them to do it. They believed in the one who was invisible. They took him at his word. They did. And you know the rest of the story. The walls just fell flat. And they conquered that city. Why? It's because they believed in that which was invisible based on what God told them. And they acted upon it. He goes to the next story. Also from Joshua. Same story and account of, of the, the defeat of Jericho. There was a resident there by the name of Rahab. By faith the harlot Rahab... Okay, now this is going to be a person that shows up in the pages of Scripture as a hero of the faith, okay? This is going to be a person that actually shows up in the genealogy, the line of Jesus Christ. Three, you know, a couple, three generations before David, or more generations. And it tells us that she was a harlot, a prostitute by any other name. And uh, I just find it interesting, and you're going to see this all through this text. All of these people, all these people were not perfect people. I could say that on good authority in her case because it says it right there in the text, but I also could say it on good authority because there are no perfect people. And this is a reminder, it doesn't matter our past. It doesn't matter what we're struggling with. It doesn't matter the things that we fight in temptation. All that matters is we believe in a God who is not seen, we take him in his word and we act upon it. And you think about this, and you know the story. It says, who did not perish with those who did not believe when she had received the spies with peace. Joshua sent some spies in to kind of check it out. They come in sort of undercover, and uh, they weren't very undercover because they were in trouble. She brings them into her house, hides them, uh, and so forth. And, and, you know, there's a lot of problems with the story. She, she lies about the, where they are and all this stuff. Uh, it, it's, it's God's not honoring her moral qualities, God's honoring her faith. She chose to believe that the God of the Jews was the one true God and the God of the Canaanites didn't really exist. In essence, she was a traitor to her own people to be a follower of God. By the way, I use that word traitor advisedly. If you have been transported from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God's dear son, you're a traitor to this world. We have turned our back on this world. And there's something about that, that phrase, that terminology, that helps us understand our position. 
And it says that she did not perish. And she also brought members of her family in, and they didn't perish. And later she shows up in the line of Christ. Why? By faith. He goes on. It just, it just, it's with a staccato. And what more shall I say? Verse 32. <laughs> For the time would fail me to tell of. Okay, get ready. It's going to get fast and furious, okay? Gideon and Barak, Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets. So there's a listing of some names. Gideon, Barak, and Samson, Jephthah, all those are in the time of Judges. David, you know, is King, uh, King David. Samuel was the prophet. He also puts David in the category of a, of a prophet, also a king. Or, or he, was, he actually fulfilled both of those roles because he, he communicated God's truth in the Psalms. So David and Samuel and then the prophets, a whole group of people, all right? And by the way, they were not perfect people. Gideon was uh, uh, anything but a brave one. He's the one who kept saying, God, could you give me one more sign so I know that this is right? How about we do that fleece thing and the water thing? And he does that. Barak, he won't go alone. He has to take uh, uh, Deborah with him. Samson, how should we say? Not a paragon of moral virtue. But God used him in spite of himself. And not all the points in time was he living by faith. He, He struggled with that. But by faith, he accomplished something significant. And Samuel the prophets, verse, verse 33, who through faith subdued kingdoms, work righteousness, obtain promises, stop the mouths of lions. He's just given sort, sort of some categories as you think through that. Uh, he begins with, uh, with that, who, who through faith subdued kingdoms. You could put Moses in that category. You could put David in that category. You could put Saul in that category. You could put, uh, you could put uh, uh, any number of the kings later in Israel and Judah's history in that category. Work righteousness that did the right thing in spite of everything that was against them. You think of some of the good kings of Israel. Think of King Josiah, who it was corrupt all around, and in spite of the odds being stacked against him, calls Israel back to repentance. So they, they did righteousness. Obtain promises. The things God said he would do, they did. Stop the mouths of lions. That one always gets our attention. Who do you usually think of, right? You think of Daniel and the lion's den, right? Of course we think of that, but you also understand that Samson had an encounter with a, with a lion. David had an encounter with a lion. Uh, one of David's mighty men, Benai, had an encounter with a lion-like man. Uh, so God is in the business of stopping lions. And you know how this works. Remember I said it looks like defeat, but it's victory. You know, they put Daniel in the lion's den, and suddenly every lion in the place lost its appetite. David is finally taken out of the lion's den. They throw the men who had accused him in the lion's den, and suddenly their appetite returned. The work of God. Why? Because he followed God. He believed God who was invisible to him. He took him at his word, and he moved forward in faith. And on and on it goes. He talks about this, verse 34, quench the violence of fire. Who does that sound like? How about Daniel's three three, uh, compatriots in the book of Daniel? We know them more by their Babylonian names than their Hebrew names. We know them as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, thrown in the fiery furnace. And you just love this story. They're believing God. It says, God's able to deliver us. But if not, we're not going to obey you, king. We're going to obey God. We're not going to violate our moral standard, our commands from you. And you know the rest of the story. They come out not only, the only thing that burned was the ropes that bound them and their clothes didn't even smell like they'd been in a fire. God is able. He says, I want you to remember these things. I want you to see what faith looks like. Look at these amazing things that faith accomplishes. 
Escape the edge of the sword. There's many who uh, escape the edge of the sword. Uh, Jephthah, David, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, many of these avoided execution even though it was, it was, it was, it was a threat to them. So they made it from the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong. I mean, you can think of Gideon, Samson, David, Esther, all these people who felt enormously weak, but they found their strength in God. Why? Because they believed in a God who was invisible. They took him at his word and they acted accordingly. By faith they did these things. It says, uh, and were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight, the enemies of the aliens. That, that story repeats repeatedly in the, many times in the Old Testament. My favorite one is uh, uh, in, the, in the days of Hezekiah when the forces come and, and they're wondering what to do and they just pray to God and the armies of the Assyrians are out there and they wake up the next morning and God had just destroyed them. There were just thousands of bodies laying there. They didn't have to fire a, an arrow or a spear. God defended them. Why? By faith. And then he goes to verse 35. Women received their dead raised to life again. A couple stories that jumps out from the page of Scripture. In uh, 1 Kings 17, end of the days of Elijah, there was this uh, widow's son. Remember, he, this widow and her son housed him and fed him during this time of famine. Later, the son dies, and through the power of God in Elijah's life, he is restored to life. Also, in 2 Kings 4, you have sort of a repeat of that in Elisha's time. This woman of Shunem who also housed him and cared for him, her and her husband had a son who died and was raised back to life. So we, that's, that's all the good stuff. That's the victors and the victories, all right? They expected defeat, they found a victory. They expected destruction, they found deliverance. But then it changes gears. I, I should finish 35, I'm sorry. Others, uh, women received their dead again. Okay, middle 35, that's where I'm at. Others were tortured. Oh, wait a minute, that doesn't sound as good as getting, being resurrected from the dead, does it? Others were tortured not accepting deliverance that they may obtain a better resurrection. Huh. A better resurrection is compared to the people he just mentions or at least hints at earlier in the verse. There were some who received their dead back to life again. Some were killed because of their faith. But they were looking for a better resurrection than what those people got because those two children were raised from the dead, power of God, A-class miracle, but they also lived out their lifetime and died again. They look for a better resurrection that's permanent, a resurrection that is never going to be reversed, a resurrection that will never face the specter of death again. Why? Because they believed in the God who was invisible, they took him at his word, and they acted upon it. But notice, not everybody doesn't have a quote-unquote happy ending, according to this world. But these people are elevated in a way that, that it, it probably exceeds the others. Verse 36, still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonments. You find that in the Old Testament. You find it throughout church history. And frankly, friends, we sometimes forget this. It is true in certain parts of our world even today. And we have brothers and sisters who are facing such things. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. By the way, tradition, not scripture, but tradition tells us that's how, uh, that's how uh, Isaiah lost his life. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented. Suddenly the whole chapter takes on another tone, doesn't it? 
I mean, we've had, we've had walk, you know, going through the Red Sea, Jericho defeated, people raised from the dead, mouths of lions shut, enemies on the run, and suddenly some were killed, mistreated in such horrific ways. I read a quote this week, and I just love it, and I just want to share it with you. Talking of this one, one author writes, In fact, it takes more faith to endure than it does to escape. We probably would vote for escape every turn of the wheel, every, every, every bend in the road. But sometimes God does not choose to deliver, but still we believe, and these people believe to that end. And I love how they're honored in this verse. Look at this, verse 38. After saying they were being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. These people were such, such stalwarts of faith, such people of faith, such people who were so in love with God that they would give their life for the cause. That being true, he says, this world didn't deserve such people to walk on it. They were not worthy to be in this world, and God received them into the world to come. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that precious? Isn't that wonderful? He says in uh, 38, Of whom the world was not worthy, they wandered in deserts, mountains, and dens, and caves of the earth. So he's going through all that. Great victory, great blessing, great miracle, great enduring faith for these who suffered such things. And remember, this is just to show us what faith looks like. What faith should look like in your life and in mine. I told you there's a twist. Stand by. 38, or excuse me, 39. And all of these, all the way back up the chapter, all the named and unnamed, and all of these having obtained a good testimony through faith did not receive the promise. Well, there's a promise that they never saw. It doesn't mean that there weren't promises they, they, did, they did see. There were promises they did see. But there is a promise that they didn't see. There's one promise that they were looking for that they never had the chance to see in their lifetimes. They went to their grave believing in a promise that was not realized prior to their death. You may wonder, well, what is that promise? You probably already have a clue. God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What is that promise they look for that didn't see? What is it about us that says that we've obtained something better? you have no doubt figured it out. It's the knowledge of the finished work of Jesus Christ, the better. Remember we started all these weeks and months ago. We talked about this book. That's why we call it Jesus, the greatest of all. The word better flows through the book. There's something better. There's something better. And don't go back to the, what you used to be, you Hebrew believers. You've st- you, you cling firmly to Christ and your faith in Him and your walk with Him and your service of Him and your love for Him because He is better. And we have something better than all these people throughout all the pages of the Old Testament. That's what he says. They did not receive a promise. God having provided something better for us. Well, how does that work? 
What they saw as a promise, we have the New Testament. We have the, the, the finished work of Christ. What they saw as a promise, we have as a completed provision. What they saw at least partially as a mystery, we see it fully manifested. That Jesus was conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, proclaimed God to his people, showed us what the greatest commandment was, showed us what love of God looks like, called out the hypocrisy of those who were acting, but not really believers, not really people of faith. He was condemned, betrayed, nailed to a cross, and died. And in that death, not as a martyr, not as a victim, not as a political prisoner, as he died as the Lamb of God, as this book so clearly says. He says back in chapter 9, the blood of lambs and bulls can never take away sin permanently. But Jesus, by one sacrifice, once for all, has brought us back into relationship with God. If we will believe that, if we'll have faith in that, if that's what we claim for our own. You see, they believed a deliverer would come. We know a deliverer has come. They believed that he would accomplish something for them. We believe and know that he has accomplished everything for us. What they saw as incomplete, we see as complete. What they saw in part, we see in whole. And there was that day, that one spring day, when Jesus the night before was betrayed by Judas, his disciples abandoned him, going through a mock trial, beaten, spit upon, crown of thorns, humiliated, forced to carry his cross to the place of execution, hands and feet stretched out, nailed to a cross, raised into its place. And those who would have looked on in disdain would have said, he is finished. But you know, and I know, because he said it. It is finished. The work of redemption is complete. The, 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 the bringing us back to God is complete. Everything that you and I need spiritually now and forever is finished. You have, I have a better promise, a better thing to think about. Something better for us. And then he, this, this phrase at the end of 40 is this hard to kind of put together, but I'll try. That they, those Old Testament believers, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What, what do we have about them being perfect? Well, he's saying what we experience in this day is what they believed in faith yet to come. So our experience completes not only for us, but for them in some sense. So that is complete. The fact of the matter is, all those people of faith did great things, but they saw just so little. How much more of people of faith should we be when we have seen so much, when we know so much, we have so much? Well, how do we increase that faith? Well, I, I can't help but give you a little preview of things to come. Look at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, based on all that, that whole chapter, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with the race with endurance. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Next words. Three words. 
looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And I dare not go on because there's so much more to come. How do we have this kind of faith? How do we tap into this something better coming? We look unto Jesus. Uh, we could go all through this book and we could look at so many things. I just want to, if you have a Bible that you can just easily flip, I want you to go back to chapter 4 for just a second. Just to remind you, this is how we tap into this kind of faith, this, this keeping our eyes on the Lord, looking unto Jesus, the author, the finisher of faith, that we can run this race, not quitting, not fainting, but with endurance. We're surrounded by this great mass, this great cloud of witnesses of what faith looks like, and you have obtained something better. The knowledge of the finished work of Christ. Verse 12, chapter 4. For the word of God is, a live, is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is living and powerful. You want to keep your eyes on Jesus? You've got to be in the word of God. You've started this week well, and I appreciate it. But just dig into this book. Just go through it. As I was going through this this week, I just thought, I'm going to reread the whole book of Hebrews. There's so much we've covered. I need, to ref I need a refresher. It didn't take all that long either. Just, just immerse yourself in the text. Put yourself in the place. Engage your imagination when you're standing by the Red Sea. Engage your imagination what it would look like to be at the foot of the cross. Engage your imagination what it would have been like to look into that empty tomb. Engage your imagination with what it, what it must have felt like to see Jesus ascending into heaven and knowing that he sits now at the right hand of God. Verse 14, same chapter. Chapter 4. Seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. That theme repeats again and again in this book. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. So he knows what we're going through. He knows the human condition. Do what? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find help in time of need. You come before his throne and say, Lord, I have needs. And I need help. And I know you're able because you've been through it more than I have. I trust in you. How do we keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of faith? We stay in the word and we, we keep on praying to him. Great news is you don't need an appointment to tell him what you feel. You don't need an invitation to ask for what you need. He says, come boldly. Just waltz right in. I'm ready to hear what you say to me. You have a great high priest. The word and prayer. Flip over to chapter 10. I just want to do a touch and go. One more thing I want to remind you of. Verse 24, chapter 10. And let us consider one another. Here's the relational. Here's the family. Here's the fellowship. Here's the church. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. We need to stir each other up. Sometimes we stir each other up and it's not a good thing. But we need to stir up that we love each other. We would do good things together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. You be together with your fellow Christians, your fellow believers. Here's the great thing. 
We've done all three of those things in the last 45, 50 minutes. We are together. We have prayed. We've studied God's word. That's a great start. But it's a long week before we gather again on the next Lord's Day morning, if Jesus tarries. And he invites us to just say, for this week, for this moment, for this day, I want to be in God's word. And Lord, help me to keep looking unto Jesus. I'm going to pray to him. I'm going to come boldly before his throne. I'm going to keep talking to him. Come and keep looking unto Jesus. That I'm going to gather with fellow believers, whether it be in this group or a small group or, or however it is. But you gather together and you share in that fellowship as you've done now. Find those continuing opportunities. Encourage each other. Stir each other up for love and good works. That will help us. It's right in the text. To understand that we have something better than they had. Because we see from the perspective of the finished work of Jesus. Let's keep looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. Also, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you will not miss a single episode. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you, and the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.